And you got to ask yourself, after arenas, then what? Where are you going after that? I mean, like, you know, you might already have that plan in your head, but like these careers are, are it's a marathon, not a sprint. Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcie. This podcast is your place to gain insights from the executives in music, media, entertainment, and more who are taking hip hop culture to the next level. Today's episode is with Kevin Shivers. He's a partner at WME, and he represents some of the biggest artists in the game, like Tyler the Creator, Summer Walker, and more. We talked about how he was able to maximize the big year that Tyler had last year. I feel like Tyler headlined so many music festivals and had so many appearances. Kevin talked about what it took to make that happen, especially given how turbulent things were with COVID and all of the restrictions and variants that came through and how he was able to still make it happen. We talk more broadly about music festivals and the strategy that Kevin has for making sure his clients can get certain billings on the roster. We also talk about Summer Walker and how he was able to do the same for her. And then we talk more broadly about what it's like as a black executive, especially in representing artists. There's not too many people at agents that are at Kevin's level that look like Kevin. So we talk about that, some of the advocacy work and mentoring and giving back that he's done and he's prioritized in his career and so much more. It was great to have Shiv on here. I hope you enjoy this. Here's my chat with Kevin Shivers. All right, today we got one of the most powerful agents in the game, Mr. Kevin Shivers, partner at WME. Welcome to the pod. feel like we're long overdue. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's funny because I feel like this time of year, I always see the festival posters come up for all of the music festivals, and I'm sure you've seen the one where they replace the names of the festivals with the agencies that they're all part of. And whenever I see the WME, I'm like, man, Kev was on his game this year. He did not look up. <laughs> it's definitely not all me, man. There's so many great agents that work here. Happy to be a part of this team. So you've been in the game for a while now, but let's take a step back because I know you've been working at the agency for some time, but what was it that first attracted you to the business? I have to say it was my mother. When I was a kid growing up, my mother would drag my brother and I to movies every weekend. And that's the first time in my head where I got, wait, I can, I love the work in entertainment because I love the movie so much. My mother loves the movie so much. I even think during COVID she was still going to the movies and that's like the really the my first like interest into the business. When I graduated high school, I went to college at University of Texas. I majored in film with the plan of moving out to LA and being a producer. And I did move out to Los Angeles. I started I interned at the Weinstein Company at the time, and then I went on to this company called Sabini Films. They had a deal at Weinstein, and from there, I I kind of entered into the film business, and I got my first taste into this is not for me <laughs> this is not what i want to do with my life partly because i was really bad at my job like i tried but i didn't want to read 30 scripts a week this is not what i wanted to do and then i pivoted i left there and i went to this place called cats media group which is like they did tv sales and i knew that that wasn't long term and i, I went there to stay in los angeles and to figure it out 
and from there, I, I figured out I wanted to be an agent at WME. I, I had some experience in, in music in, in Austin, like going to shows. I knew a promoter, this guy, Charles Atal, who ran C3. And at the time, it was William Moore's agency. And that's my first interest in, into entertainment. Nice. And I feel like the past year and a half, almost two years now, it's probably been unlike any other time period since you've been in this. What's that been like for you? You mean like COVID in a way has impacted shows? Yeah. It's been a wild ride. Like if I go back to 2020, there was so much going on in the in the picture of, of even the world and in all of our lives. You had George Floyd, you had Trump, and you had COVID and the uncertainty. So 2020, being an agent, it was moving shows from the beginning of the year to the end of the year to that doesn't work to all the social things that are going on in the world to 2021. The first six months were kind of the same of 20, 2020. And the first light in the tunnel, I think, was Rolling Loud, like Rolling Loud played. And then Lollapalooza was maybe a week or two later. And then you start seeing uh, Austin City Limits and Outside Lands playing off and, and some tours. And then we started, it started to make sense. And then Omicron comes along and we're like back for a period of time back at square one. But it seems like 2022 is going to bring a lot of joy. You know, shows are playing, sport, Super Bowl is happening in a few days, pro sports are going along. So it, it seems a lot of positivity. What do you think will be different for 2022 and 2023 thereafter? Because I feel like it'll be this gradual shift where eventually things will start to feel like the touring schedule is maybe back to somewhat of what it was before COVID. But how long do you think that will really be? Like, What do you think will be the first year that we can look back and be like, okay, this is the first year that doesn't feel like it was impacted in any way? I think there's some hope in 2022. If we just change the way that we're thinking that this is the new world, things might pop up, the virus might flare back up and flare back down, but like, let's try to figure out how to, how to move forward. I think I'm starting to see that people are out and about and shows are playing sports. You know, the NFL season went through the whole season. They had ups and downs. And I think that like, we're starting to see some positivity Lots of hope for 23. Hopefully 23, we get back to some sort of a, or we get to some sort of a new normal where we're living in this this new world and we're just going with the punches. I hear that. So I think the good thing for you, though, is that even until we got to that point, you've been moving a lot. And I know that Tyler, the creator, is one of your bigger clients. And 2021 was a big year for him. Headlined a bunch of festivals, dropped his album. What was it like making sure that everything could line up and that you could have everything set for him despite everything else that was going on with the touring business? First of all, I want to say Tyler's a star and a -a one-of-a-kind talent, and he knows exactly what he wants. I'm lucky to be a a part of his team, and he has an excellent team around him. It starts with the managers, Chris and Kelly Clancy, who are amazing people. Wallace Fortune is the business manager, uh, Joe Colon's amazing lawyer, my partner, James Rubin, who does international, they watch after her at the agency and all the other people that touch Tyler. But 21 was a great year. We got the headlines. Tyler got the headlines from festivals. But it was also, we had some goals from here. It was also challenging. First thing is the record comes, the record's amazing. And it's also finding a window when we can go on sale when COVID's not surging. And I think that 
the team and I, we we all got lucky because we found a, a window. We, we knew Tyler was going to headline Lollapalooza, and the, and the goal was after you get all the media, the media hype coming from Lala, we knew he was going to bring an amazing show. Is that Monday after Lala finding that window where we can go, go on sale and. Luckily for us, no COVID spikes out of Lala, nothing crazy, and, and there's no COVID spikes in, in the world. So that was first thing, right? I think the second thing when we thought about thinking about touring, it is trying to find the, the markets for him to play. Tyler's somebody that wants to push the envelopes, and we ended up putting up 35 arenas, breaking in some new markets. I saw him last night at a show in San Diego, and he was like, I, I could have done 50 shows. I mean, granted, it was night two of – of you know the tour and i was like okay we'll see how you feel at like night 35 33 or something but we we were able to break in some new markets columbus vegas el paso Pittsburgh, to name a few i think the third thing is that tyler really really wanted to give the fans an ultimate experience thus is the lineup he's the lineup is tizo touchdown vince staples cali uches and i think the last thing is you know making sure that we hit that sweet spot in pricing so we, you know, give the fans a place where they can feel happy, a place where they can buy tickets, but also maximizing the gross, keeping ticket sales in the gross. And this was a joint effort with the managers, Chris and Kelly, Michelle Bernstein, who's an excellent marketing ticketing person, and the AAG team led by Cody over there. Talk to me a bit more about the new markets and picking those. You mentioned Pittsburgh. You mentioned El Paso. What are the data or the insights or the feel that you look for when you're like, hey, this is somewhere that we want to consider going to that we haven't gone before. And if we do it, this is the type of venue that we should go in this market, as opposed to somewhere like a LA or New York where he's already proved himself. Well, I think there's a few things. So one is whenever Tyler or any of my clients, I'm always trying to figure out, I want them to play as many places that they can to just reach all the fans and maximize that opportunity. We're on the road because if it's a Tyler or a Corday or whoever it is or a Cuddy, you're not going to get to see them every single year. That is a unique experience. But to answer your direct question, it's one, looking at the data, if it's from Spotify or, or past sales. Two, is looking at the markets and seeing if there's a building or a venue that makes sense. Like Columbus, we know that's a place that's a college town. Tyler's played there before, played there, sold out, I think, a smaller room on the on sale, knew there was the man, didn't realize, I mean, the Columbus sales are insane, but this didn't, didn't realize like, wow, that's, that, I mean, that, that is really like, that's a smaller market that's turned into an A market, right? I think it's looking at our diverse lineup of talent on the bill, you know, going to a place like El Paso and looking at, oh, there's probably going to be some Cali fans, some Vince fans, some Tizo fans, right? That's a good place. And that's also a place that doesn't get a lot of entertainment. So like, and that, t- that ended up being like a home run. So it's like kind of looking at the whole picture of what, what you got and talking to a lot of people that are smarter than you and, and kind of coming up with, with a plan and also just working with good people that have a point of view. What are the trade-offs that you have to make for those kind of decisions? Because I imagine that there's the ones that do cross the threshold to be like, okay, let's make these happen. But, you know, kind of like you were saying before, it's tough to try to do 50 shows in a specific short amount of run or whatever it may be. What are some of those considerations you may have to make in terms of the markets that you can't pick or the ones you know that you may not be able to I, put in this time around? I, I think there's a few things. One, it's like really talking to your clients and, and letting them know. We might, we're going to try to go in this market. There's a possibility it might not go the way that we want, but we have to. To me, if you're not trying, 
And if you're not putting risk on the line, then what are we doing, right? It's like, I'm actually somebody who's okay with failing, right? And not not saying that we fail on anything, but I'm okay with doing that risk for the bigger reward. So it's like really, really like getting in there and talking to them about, you know, the strategy, right? And like the the goal, I think the goal should be like when you're out every two, three years is gaining the new fans, gaining that new network. Right. Especially now, I feel like for someone like him, it's probably been interesting. I know you've been with him to see the rise and just to see how the fan base has continued to evolve over time. So I imagine he probably even sees things where he's like, okay, these are the Tyler fans that, you know, been with me since the Goblin days. If I go to this city versus, you know, you go to this other city, they may not have discovered me as much until Flower Boy or something like that. (laughs) I'm sure he does. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And I think with him, too, if we talk a bit more about the festival side of things, he obviously was a headliner. As you mentioned, his Lollapalooza show was broadcasted. Um, I didn't go to the show, but I was able to see it through um, Hulu because they had had it coming through there. When you're trying to have someone like him, obviously, you have many different artists and they have different levels that they may want to perform at and ideally you want to have everyone maximizing and performing at the highest level or being at like the highest row on that uh, festival poster but for someone like tyler is it going into the year like hey headline or bust if we can't be a headliner for this festival we're not going to do it or does it depend on who some of the others are what are those conversations like i think when you start a a campaign with with any artist it's just like sitting down with the team and figuring out what the goals are, right? And it's all a tra- trajectory and building on the on the last. I think you want, the goal is always to build on the last time you were out, to build on the, the, the last year, right? And having that conversation. And, you know, different artists have different things. Some people want to specifically target these particular festivals, or you know, you know you're going out in this window and you can maybe use a festival to route in and out to get the gross up for the whole tour. It's just like really just, it's really spending time with the client, spending time with the manager to find out, figure out what the goals is and maximizing the opportunities. Is it any tougher to do that though, the way that, artists can just rise so fast now, especially in the streaming era, because I know that there's normally the standard, you know, you do your clubs, you can do your, you know, ballrooms or amphitheaters. And then maybe if you get to arena or stadiums, that's the trajectory. But with people just getting so big, so fast, does that change the dynamic where it's like, okay, how do you still balance where, what they may have done last time and using that as a reference point versus how quickly they can rise in this era. I mean, look, you have to have a point of view and you have to have a plan and you have to have some thoughts, right? And I think that people can really jump up really, really quickly, but we like to use this thing is don't skip steps, right? You know, sometimes if you know you can go play an arena, why not go play multiple nights at a smaller room and build the momentum, build a buzz, leave people on the streets, leave them not being able to get to the shows so that when you come back around, you still have gas in the tank. I mean, it's there's no one size fit all plan. It's like you have to just know who you're working with, spend time and really kind of draw that, draw that sketch up and map it out and like and listen a plan is just a is just a, a roadmap it can be amended along the way there's no like set in stone thing but other than like knowing knowing where you want to go knowing knowing what you think you know going to be doing the next year the next five years that is what's most important that makes sense and that reminds me of something i heard i think it was olivia rodrigo had said in some 
recent interview when she announced her tour and someone must have asked her something along the lines of, hey, you had one of the biggest years in pop music this past year. Could you have done arenas? And I think she said that same line you said, I don't want to skip any steps. This is where it's at. So I think that's something that definitely rings true. And we're seeing the examples of that. Yes. And you got to ask yourself after arenas, then what? Where are you going after that? I mean, like, you know, you might already have that plan in your head, but like these careers are, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So what do you think some of the mistakes that artists can make? Like, I mean, you don't have to drop any names. You don't got to put anybody on blast, but is there anyone that you think maybe made a touring misstep or there's something where you can look back and be like, ah, if they had done that a little differently, things could have worked out a little bit, you know, whether it's better or worse or however for them. I think sometimes when people overthink it and, and end up doing nothing, that's like a bummer for everybody. That's a bummer for the artist. That's a bummer for the fan. That's a bummer for the culture. Like, like you're hot. You're popping right now. We really need to see you. We really need to see you show up and pull up on us and, and see what you have. And I, I think that that's a mistake. That Not a mistake, but that's just a bummer for everybody. We want to see... We want to see you. We want to see you do your thing. And I would love it if instead of doing nothing, that artists, sometimes people would do something. So you think part of it is that there's a hesitancy to try to capture the moment or sometimes they can be a bit more resident or, or hesitant to do things when there is an opportunity to go back out there? Or they just don't know or they just are trying to get it perfect. And like, you know, you're going to we're all going to make mistakes. It's going to be ups and downs. I, I think sometimes you just got to go play. You know, you got to go give the fans what they want. Do you think any of this has become any more challenging in the social media era? Because one thing that I've heard both on the talent side is that artists are even more so particular about how everything looks from a live perspective, because that shot that goes on Instagram or that shot that goes on TikTok that influences ticket sales, especially from, you know, whether it's the first show or whatever it is. Do you feel like artists are feeling like they need to have things more perfect, even though deep down, you know, that it shouldn't be that way? I mean, it's got to be really, really tough because the camera's always on. Somebody's always, you know, whether you like it or not, is documenting things that you do. So I, I think that I couldn't even imagine how much pressure that is and how, how tough that has to be. You know, that's social media can be good. And then there can be some other sides where you're like, wow, this is, this is tough. Yeah. I know we've talked a lot about Tyler and about hip hop overall, but I know another one of the major artists you represent is Summer Walker. And, you know, she had a big year last year as well. And I want to hear the differences when you're planning a tour for or you're planning live events in general for a R&B artist as opposed to someone in hip hop. I don't think there's really many differences. I just think you have to just, it goes back to the same as knowing the artist, planning, and really just get, you know, and figuring out what the goals that they have and how you can best service them, right? I, I don't really think there's a different strategy or a different lane. I think if you love Summer Walker, you love Summer Walker, you're going to go out and see her, right? And she has she has an incredible fan base. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Because one of the things I was wondering with someone like her, knowing how passionate her fan base is, I was wondering if there was a connection of like, oh, you know, the streams may show this and the data may show this. But because of how R&B fans are, there may be a bit more likelihood that that could translate to ticket sales or purchases as opposed to other genres. You know, I, I think the fans are going to come out if they love somebody and, and Summer speaks to her fans, like people like the Summer Walker followers, are, they just they love her. I think they're just going to come out and show up and see, see her play. No, that's real. That makes sense. 
So for you, I mean, I know you have, you got a full roster and you're always making sure that you can maximize them to the best of their abilities. So how do you measure success for yourself as a partner and as someone that's representing them on their behalf? The answer is real simple, helping others, right? I got into this business because I wanted to help artists grow. And it's like, it starts with the clients. Like you, know, you start thinking about your about people that I work with, like what can I do to help them? What can I do to help them grow? Are we giving them everything that they need? Are we, you know, from last year to this year, are we, are we showing up every day to help them get to that next level? That's the first thing. I think also the way I measure success is like the same thing with helping others. It, like it starts for me every day with my assistant, Ebony. I think she's going to be a great executive one day, but am I showing up for her? Do I slow down enough to answer her questions? Do I, do I mentor her? Do I, do I spend time with her? Cause like, that's important to me. We have many, many amazing young agents that work here. Am I showing up enough to help them sign clients? Am I giving them what they need? I, I think, you know, measuring success is, is everybody around you doing well? Are you doing what's good for the organization? I co-run hip hop with Zach Iser, Caroline Yim, and James Rubin. Caroline's always saying we got to take care of, of our youngins. You know, it's just the neighbors getting what he needs. It's Sarah Tarani getting what they need. And then I think it just it's really about creating that culture, creating that universe that the people you're with are rising to the next level, being selfless. And then also from a DNI perspective of like, what diverse people can we grow? Can we hire? Are we retaining them? These are all the ways that I measure success. I try not to look at what other people are doing because, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I, I want to make sure that the organization and the people around me are set up for success. I hear that. And I think a lot of the themes you mentioned there align with mentorship, and whether it's being a mentor or support for the artists that are looking to you for guidance, your coworkers and your colleagues. Can you talk a little bit more about why that's so important to you? Because even in reading and hearing other interviews, I know you've been active on that front, making sure that you can use your platform and where you are to pass the torch and help others along the way. I think mentorship is like, it's one of these things, like if we're not mentoring and why, what are we doing? Why are we even showing up? You have to always be trying to look out for other people. I've had people that looked out for me in my career, people that still look out for me. And I think that is one of the key things. It's one of the reasons that makes me want to get up every day and come into the office. It's like helping others. I think that's one of the reasons why we're put on this earth is to help people. That's a non-negotiable thing is mentorship. I mean, the a crazy fact about I'll go do an interview or I'll do a, a panel and everybody that writes me on IG or LinkedIn, I write everybody back. Everybody, I mean, I probably send more people to the HR department here for jobs than anybody because I just write everybody back. I think that's important because I was once that, that young kid that I wanted to figure this out and like I didn't know I had no clue and people helped me. So I think that's a very important aspect of the job. A hundred percent. And even on a personal level, I remember the first time you reached out to me, you were just like, hey, love what you're doing. Hey, how can I help? And you were just like, oh, who do you want to interview? Oh, I was just texting them yesterday. Boom, let's get this done. So even on a personal level, I mean, you are, you're looking out for me, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, what you're, you're doing, is, I listen to your podcast every week. I think it's amazing. I think what you're doing for the culture is great. And I just wanted to get to know you and just to help where I can. And and, and that's just, that's that's what I think is important. Definitely. 
Definitely. And one of the things that you had put out, um, it was a couple of years back, but it really stuck out to me was this was right after George Floyd's murder and the music industry had the show must be paused response. And you had written this guest post on Polestar and you were talking about how this industry just needs to do better by its black execs, specifically on the recruiting front. And I know you were just talking about how, you know, you're always pushing things forward to HR. And I'm sure this must be really personal for you as well. You are one of the few folks that looks like you in the position that you have in this whole industry. So I'd love to hear how you feel like the industry has responded since everything had happened after George Floyd's murder and the response to where we are now in 2022. You know, in response to your comment about I'm one of the person that looks like me in, in the industry, I, I always say to everybody, I'm amazing, but I'm not that amazing. Like there's, there's, there should be more people that look like me doing what I do and, and you know, partners in hire, right? And I think we still have a lot of work to do. There's good news, though. There's positive conversation around DNI. People are aware. People are aware that that there needs to be more black people and more diverse people need to have more opportunities. I still think that we need to keep pushing the envelope. We still have a lot more to do in terms of hiring and creating opportunities for black people. The organizations know they have to do better, but they have to buck the old status quo. They have to go outside of the norm. And, and to them, it, to some people, it might be like, oh, we're taking a risk. No, DNI has to be inside of your lifeline, inside of your blood, inside of your everyday practices. It's not something that you can just talk about once a quarter. You got to live it. You got to be in it every day. And I believe that the that black people need to be promoted. They need to be elevated. They need to be given the same opportunities and, and shots. Uh, when we were interviewing for jobs, I, I think in any in, in the industry, not just entertainment, you need to be interviewing black people, people of color, LGBTQ. There just needs to be more opportunity. We need more Sylvia Rome's, more Ethiopia's, more Tungies at Def Jam. Uh, we need more leaders, more partners. I mean, I, we have to just keep our foot on the gas, keep pushing the envelope because we're not there yet, but we're, but we're going in the right direction and we need to keep the momentum. Right. And I think even an example of that, the folks you just mentioned, I think and a lot of folks in this industry are all on a first name basis. And as incredible as all those folks are, how do we get to the point where they're not on a first name basis because they aren't just the few black execs in there. I mean, it's definitely going to continue to take time. And I think whether it's conversations like this or the efforts you're doing will help, but I'm hopeful that it can get there eventually. I'm hopeful too. I think we got to stay targeted and, and focused, and, but also at the same time, remember like this, this didn't happen overnight, right? It's not going to change overnight, but we have to like, we have to keep, we have to stay on this because it can change and it, and it needs to be better. Definitely. So let's switch gears a bit. Let's talk a little bit about the future, specifically with regards to touring and technology and what things will look like in the potential with Web3 and the metaverse. Because now you have agencies that are specifically, I'm sure WE likely also has a um, division where focus specifically on digital environments or getting artists lined up on that perspective. How do you look at that specifically with the artists you have on your roster and what the potentials are for them in these digital worlds? I think Web3 is just, it's it's massive, huge, huge opportunities. You know, if, if you think about the evolution, it started in virtual, went over to Fortnite, but I just think it brings control back to the artists. In a way, 
artists have been acting like this the whole time. These music artists, they've had fan clubs, they've had social media. But what Web3 does, it gives more control to them. It's going to give them more power. But like, it kind of cuts out that middleman. And I, and I think you know things are going to change in the next six months, next five years. It's going to be an exciting world. If you look at what Coachella did by selling an NFT, a lifetime Coachella pass. I mean, I think artists are going to come up with these things where, you know, if you want to be in the front row of my show, here's an NFT for the chance to buy the front row tickets. Or maybe it just goes inside of there and they they figure it out with the promoter. But I just think, like, it's an exciting time. Like, it's the it's in, endless. I was just on the phone with Nate Jones the other day. I love what he's doing with Royal. And I think the deal that he did with Nas and Anthony Soleil is like an amazing, and that's less like where things are headed. I mean, it's just, you know, as any of this thing, it's going to be ups and downs, right? In, in the in the Web3, but I just think the opportunity is endless. Yeah, things are early. Things are also moving really fast. Six months from now, it's going to look completely different. And I am excited for the artists that are taking advantage early. I feel like I could already imagine Camp Flogdog Carnival having some type of digital environment or or some type of experience in the metaverse. I'm sure it will. I'm sure Lollapalooza and some of these other properties, that's where they're headed. I mean, the, it's going to be a really exciting time. For sure. For sure. I just hope people get off the couch and still come out to shows. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a concern you have, though? Like, do you wonder that, about that in the future? No, no, I'm, I was just joking. I mean, I don't think anything can replace the live experience. Just like the Zooms are great, right? But I think when you're in a meeting with somebody, it's 10 times better. And I think in a concert, it's 100 times better. I love I love going to festivals. I've been to them all over the world. And I love seeing the reactions in real time on people's faces from their favorite artists hitting, hitting the stage. So I don't think anything can replace it. I think it's going to only enhance the experience. Agreed. That's what I always go back to, too. Everything in these experiences are additive. It isn't a replacement for anything. And I think it'll probably just force more creativity for every aspect because you're not just trying to have something be a catch-all. So I think I'm interested to see how it'll continue to shape live performances and what that can look like from the, you know, the IRL experience. Correct. Yeah. And on that note, do you have any predictions for what you think the next three to five years or so will look like specifically in the live space? I mean, pandemic notwithstanding, I mean, obviously, I think we'll continue to see the after effects of that. But any type of, you know, evolutions or any type of future changes that you think we'll see over time? Yeah, I think 2022 is going to be bigger than we thought. I think that hopefully, I think we're headed to a healthy touring environment. I think there's going to be new players in terms of buyers and festivals. And I think the fan experience, will that's going to be the thing of the future. I think everyone has realized they have to zero in on the fan from artist curated weekends and festivals to, I think, even super service in the fan. Think about this. Think about a world where a service lets you buy a ticket, has a car that picks you up, dinner reservations, great seats, and even find you a babysitter. Like, I think that's where we're going. We're going to this place where, like, okay, I can even be, I'm busy. I can. Be, I don't even want to deal with this. Boom, hit a button, and this is where we're going. I think that's exciting because, you know, getting inside of the mind of the fan, what they really want is going to be the next evolution. Yeah, even you mapping that out, if you literally could press one button and solve that, I think you'd also just increase the amount of people that could come through too, right? You mentioned in the babysitter, the amount of people that have young kids and it's like, you know, just the thought of them needing to be like, oh, you know, we got to find someone for this to come in for this night. Like, yeah, if all that can be taken care of. Because I think people love live music and live music is such a treat. 
But when you think about the hurdles you have to do, you got to put on some clothes. Maybe, you know, show starts at 7, get home, work, feed your kids, do this, do that. And if you could just take some of that away from them, that's like, you know, bringing the fan experience to a new level. Definitely. So I know you're always on the go with festivals and, you know, I know you love going to them, but I know it's also for your work as well. If you had to guess, how many shows do you think you'll go to in 2022? I can tell you this. I'd rather answer this way. How many days? I plan on hitting a lot of festivals in 2022. So I think I'm going to be, I call it 50 to 60 days watching music, right? Okay. That's what I'd say. Okay. Yeah. All right. And even that, I mean, that's a lot more than the average person, but I mean, it's just incredible because you get to just see all the fine tunes. You get to just see everything. And like you mentioned, this isn't just the U.S. You're traveling all across the world for this stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that, that's one of the reasons I love doing what I do. I mean, like, really, I get to go see live music in different parts of the world. I mean, I, I can't even imagine anything better than that. Yeah. So last question before we let you go. I know we talked a lot about Tyler, and I know from our conversations just the uniqueness of you seeing that star power and star potential, even from the first time you connected. How do you find that next Tyler? Or how do you find that thing to know, okay, yeah, this is the one that we need for this next generation? Oh, wow. I think... When I'm looking to sign somebody, I'm looking for somebody that has a unique point of view, for somebody that is fearless and that wants to do the work. That makes sense. Hear that, man. Well, hey, before we let you go, man, this was great. I'm glad you could come through and make this happen. But is there anything else you want to plug or let the Trapple audience know about? I think everybody should go out and see some shows this year. I think 2022 is going to be a good year. And and then one thing I want to say is to somebody who wants a career in entertainment, I think you should go for it. I think you should move to L.A., move to New York, move to Atlanta, move to Nashville, cold email some people. If you cold email me, I'll probably write you back pretty soon and just go for your dreams. What's your email address? <laughs> Kshivers at WMEagency.com. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that, man. All right, well, Kevin, right. man, thanks for coming through. This is a pleasure. All right, appreciate you, Dan. You enjoyed this podcast go ahead and share it with a friend copy the link text it to a friend post it in your group chat post it in your slack groups wherever you and your people talk spread the word that's how Trapolo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people and while you're at it if you use apple podcast go ahead rate the podcast give it a high rating and leave a review tell people why you like the podcast that helps more people discover the show thank you in advance talk to you next week Thank you.